to page 1069, John chapter 5. We spent the last uh, four weeks in this chapter, and it's because there is so, so much here. Um, We're going to read the last chunk of it today from verse 31 through to 47. So please have that open, and let's uh, listen to these words together. We're dropping into a conversation. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You've sent John, and he has testified to the truth, Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This really is a remarkable conversation that happens in John chapter 5. In fact, it's more than a conversation. This is a, this is a trial. Jesus is on trial That's very clear from the start of this conversation. You'll remember if you've been here for the past few weeks that it starts with Jesus healing a man who's been paralysed for 38 years. Jesus says, get up and walk. He does it on a Sabbath. That upsets the religious leaders. So they come to accuse Jesus. And you'll see that back in verse 16. Just look back so we get the context clear. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father's always at his work this very day. I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So here's what's going on. The religious leaders are putting Jesus on trial because he broke the Sabbath laws. He said, oh, that's just because my father's working and so am I. That upset them even more because now he's claiming to be equal with God. And so you have the religious leaders accusing Jesus. They're pointing their fingers at him. He's on trial. And and make no doubt about it, they're building a case against Jesus that will lead to his death. This is not just a theoretical argument. Oh, let's have a discussion. They try all the more to kill him. Jesus is on trial for a capital offence. 
Jesus is facing death. The knives are drawn and Jesus is in the dock. And it's really important that we see the intensity of this moment. The religious leaders are there, ready to give their verdict on Jesus. Now, as Jesus makes his defense, we've seen that it all rests on the relationship between the Father and the Son. There is one God who is Father and Son and Spirit, but the Father and Son relationship is utterly crucial to Jesus' defense. He's saying, I'm equal to God because I'm his Son. I call God Father. And we've explored that beautiful relationship between the Father and the Son. And we've seen that Jesus is the Son who is working just as his Father works. Jesus is the Son who does whatever he sees his Father doing. Jesus is the Son who is loved by his Father. Jesus is the Son who's been entrusted with works by his Father. He's been entrusted with life-giving and judging. Jesus is the Son who deserves honour like his Father. Jesus is the Son who has life in himself just like the Father has life in himself. Jesus is the Son who's been given works to finish by his Father. Jesus is the Son who is testified to by the Father. Jesus is the Son who comes in his Father's name and he says, that's my defence. That relationship says, you want to know how I can claim to be equal with God? It's because of that relationship, father and son. And it's so beautiful. We've explored that for the last few weeks. And we want to know more. And we need to know more. Hang on, I'll do this. It's a new laptop this week. Always troubles. Just needs to wake up from time to time. If any of you need to wake up, feel free to uh, poke the people next to you. So it all rests on this beautiful relationship. But you've got to watch very closely what Jesus does in this last chunk. (laughs) Because what happens in this last chunk is that Jesus, by the end of it, has swung the whole conversation around so that now those who accuse Jesus are now the ones who stand accused. And those who pointed their fingers at Jesus are now the ones who have fingers pointing at them. Those who came to expose Jesus are now the ones who are exposed. Jesus turns the table, who was in the dock, suddenly he becomes judge, and he points the finger at them and he says, you don't love God. He turns the whole thing on its head. So I want to watch this clearly, carefully. It's genius what Jesus does in this section. And it's not just genius, it's deeply unsettling. So let's watch it together. So this relationship, father and son, it all rests on that. It all hangs on that beautiful relationship. And the question then is, well, how do you know that's true? I mean, let's face it, anyone can come along and say, oh yes, I'm the son of God. Others have done that. David Icke did that. David Icke, who was an MP on the Isle of Wight, when I was a teenager, he wore a turquoise shell suit and one day he declared he was the Son of God. Anyone can declare to be the Son of God. He isn't, by the way, David Icke. Turns out he wasn't the Son of God. But how come Jesus is? How come it's crazy for David Icke to claim to be the Son of God, but for Jesus to claim to be the Son of God, millions of people follow him and say yes? How does that happen? You need some evidence. And that's what Jesus does. He starts to talk about testimony and he says, I've got 
evidence. I have got testimony that is weighty. You know around London, um, you see cranes all over the place. Right? Loads and loads of cranes. And we've got two right opposite our flat at the moment where they're building new tower blocks right opposite where we are. And the crucial thing about the crane is that you have the massive great counterweight on one side, a great blob of concrete on one end. And that is essential so that when it's lifting something heavy over here, the counterweight stops it tipping over, right? You've got to have something heavy. It's no good having a few feathers on this side because as soon as you try and pick up an iron girder, the whole thing's just going to tip. And if you're the little person sitting in the thing, that's not fun. That has got to be the worst job in the world. Genuinely, got to be the worst job. I would hate that. I think some people love the view, but not me. Right, okay, here's the deal, right? If your life is the crane, then you need some pretty weighty evidence that Jesus really is the Son of God if you are not going to tip over when troubles come. When someone comes and questions, questions you and says, you don't really believe Jesus is the Son of God, if your little weight is flimsy, your crane of your life is going to come careering down. But the more weight that you can have, the more confidence you can have, the more evidence you can see that yes, this one really is the Son of the Father. If you can know that that is true, suddenly your life becomes secure and stable. And what Jesus says in this section is, I have a testimony that is more weighty than you could ever imagine. And that's what we're going to explore now. The power of a weighty testimony. It's no different to a courtroom. In a courtroom, what you're looking for is weighty evidence. Something that will make the case strongly. That's what Jesus is claiming. So let's have a look at it. Let's work through the verses and I'll show you how it works. Verse 31, and then we're going to watch and see how the tables are turned at the end. But let's go from verse 31. Jesus says, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, what he means, it doesn't mean that he's a liar. What it means is his testimony is not valid. So if you're you're in a court and you're accused of... um, uh, you're accused of stealing. And the judge says, have you got any witnesses? You say, yes, I have. They say, who's your witness? Me. Okay, what would you like to say? I didn't do it. They're going to go, okay, thank, thanks for sharing. Nice. That is not a weighty testimony. When you appear as your own witness, that doesn't have a lot of credibility in court. Yes, it's interesting to hear what you have to say. It doesn't mean you're lying. It's just that it's not a very solid basis to build on. If all we had was Jesus going, I'm the son of God, you'd say, hang on, really? Not sure I can build my whole life on that. That doesn't feel like a very heavy counterweight to give stability to all of my life. And so look at verse 32. Jesus says, there's another who testifies in my favor. There's another one. And I know that his testimony about me is true. Jesus says, I have got a witness who I will call 
And he really is a weighty witness. Now you have to wait to get to him because before we get to him, Jesus says, oh, by the way, there's another bloke. <laughs> Look at verse 33. This is not the witness Jesus is talking about. This is not the weighty one. This is just John the Baptist. So verse 33, you've sent to John and he's testified to the truth. That was So back in the early chapters of John's Gospel, John the Baptist came along and he said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was someone who testified to the truth of Jesus. But Jesus seems a little bit dismissive. It's weird, isn't it, verse 34? Not that I accept human testimony. But I mention it that you may be saved. We'll see later why he says that. But for now, he says, yeah, there was this man called John, and he was a lamp, and he shone, and he told you the truth about who I was, and he told you that truth so that you could be saved. He told you I was the Lamb of God. He told you I was the Son of God. He told you who I was. But verse 34, verse 36, sorry. But he's not the one. He's not the weighty one. I have testimony weightier than that of John. So if you had Jesus saying, I'm the son of God, and then some other bloke going, oh yeah, I think he's the son of God too. You go, okay, well at least there's two of them, but still not sure. Jesus says, no, there's something much more weighty. Something so heavy that you could build the whole of your life on it. So what is this weightier testimony? Well, John call, uh, Jesus calls God the Father as his witness. You ought to feel the weight of that for a second. Jesus says, you, you want weighty testimony? Well, let's try my father, the king of the universe, the creator of all things. Would he do? Could I call him as a witness, please? And you may say, well, this is a circular argument, John, too. This is ridiculous. He's just, you know, he's just said he's the father of the son, and now he's just making up. Well, no, no, because no. look what Jesus points to. Firstly, he says, um, his weighty testimony is the works of the Father. So he says, the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. He says, look at what I'm doing. I am doing stuff that testifies to who I am. And as I do this stuff, it is not just me, it's the Father doing his work through me and so testifying and saying, this is the one. So when Jesus turns water into wine and when Jesus says to a paralyzed man, get up and walk, and when in a few chapters' time Jesus will say to a dead man, get up, Lazarus, come out, and when he'll feed 5,000, when he'll walk on water, these are the works that testify to who he is. The Father testifies and says, look. Because only God can do those things. And when you see a man walking around doing what God can do, you've got to stop and say this man is more than a man. And so Jesus points to the works that he's doing. They testify that the Father has sent him. How else could he do these works? But then he says it's not just the works of the Father. It is also the words of the Father. 
that testify to him. So you've got the works, the stuff that Jesus is doing, but then verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me, you've never heard his voice nor seen his form. Now I've got to say, it, all, it was all going well, right? Look at it carefully. The Father who sent me himself testified concerning me. So now he's saying, God the Father directly is testified, but then he says, but you've never seen his form or heard his word. That's, an, that's not a great witness. Yes, Judge, I do have a witness to prove that I did not steal anything. Great. Could you bring them in? Yeah, the trouble is you won't be able to see them and you won't be able to hear them. But they're going to testify. That doesn't sound great. Great, we've got an invisible God who says silent words. Perfect. What an excellent witness. What are you doing, Jesus? Now watch, watch, watch. He's not done. You've got to keep watching. There are the words of the Father. He says, you've never heard his voice, you've never seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent you. And then he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Where does the Father, who has no form and who have not heard his voice, where do you find his testimony to the Son? You find it in the Scriptures. You find it in the pages of the Bible, the pages of the Old Testament, page after page of the Father's testimony to his Son. And Jesus, do you see it? He says, you study these Scriptures because you think that somehow they're going to give you life, but they're all about me, Jesus says. It's all pointing to me. Every word of the Old Testament, that first part of the Bible before Jesus comes, it was all about him. Here is God's testimony to his son. Right, just listen to this. Here is a snapshot of what Jesus is talking about. Just a tiny, tiny snapshot. What does Jesus mean when he says that these scriptures testify about him? This is what he means. He means that he is the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head from Genesis 3. Jesus is the one whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Jesus is the one who is the better knower through whom God saves humanity from the judgment they deserve. Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8. Jesus is the greater Abraham through whom blessing will come to all the nations in Genesis 12. Jesus is the greater ram who provides the sacrifice so that Isaac goes free. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb whose blood brings God's people out of slavery and into freedom. Jesus is the greater Moses who leads God's people out of slavery. Jesus is the greater Joshua who leads his people into the promised land and gives them hope and life forever. Jesus, it's all about him. Every story whispers his name. Jesus is the better temple. And he's not just the temple, he's also the priest. And he's not just the priest, he's also the sacrifice who brings you to God. Jesus is the one who is the better Boaz, who redeems foreigners and makes them his own. Jesus is wiser than Solomon. He's braver than Daniel. He's stronger than Samson. He's more righteous than Job. Jesus, it's all Jesus. He's... He's stronger than David, who would go and fight Goliath. Jesus steps into battle to defeat sin and death on our behalf. 
Jesus is the root of David. He's the branch of Jesse. He's the righteous one. He's the spirit-anointed, righteous justice bringer who will preach good news to the poor and who will open the eyes of the blind and who will open the ears of the deaf. Jesus is the one who comes. He's the shepherd who leads us into green pastures. He's the king of righteousness. He's the comforter of Israel. He's the suffering servant. He's the rock who was struck. He's the hope of the nations. He's the king who's been installed on God's mountain. He's the good news. It's all about him. You want weighty testimony? God has spoken again and again and again. There's someone coming. There's someone coming. See, he comes, gentle, riding on a donkey, born in Bethlehem, the one who will be pierced to save his people. It's all about Jesus. Do you feel the weight of the testimony? This is the father testifying to his son. And some of us are tempted to think, oh, the Old Testament, well, that's all a bit boring. I don't know what that's about. You know, it's complicated stuff. It's not. It's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to him. And it weighs up and up and up. This is so different. Right? You know Nostradamus? You know the predictions of Nostradamus? Have you heard of him? Some bloke from the 1500s who wrote thousands and thousands of words. And a few of them bear some resemblance to things that have happened. And people go, oh, look, he predicted that. And you go, hmm, maybe. With Jesus, it just keeps coming and coming. The prophecies, the promises, and it was all written hundreds of years before him. It was complete. No one questions this. It was completed hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. So that you could have testimony that was so weighty that it would build, you could build the whole of your life on him. The whole of the scriptures is about Jesus. You want your testimony? You want witness that he's really the son of the father? Here it is. He's given you a book full. And for me, this is the most compelling reality when I think of Jesus, when I see the way the Father testified to his Son throughout the pages of Scripture, over thousands of years, through hundreds of different people, through world events, all the time, promising his Son. And so Jesus calls these great witnesses and he says, here's my testimony, And I've got to say to you, we've got to know this better. If your understanding of what God says in the Bible is flimsy, then of course you will fall over. And part of our job as a church, and the reason that we work hard at the Bible, we want to understand it better, is because this is the weighty evidence that will ground our lives and hold us firm so that whatever happens, we don't topple. I think some of us have given up for any hope of being certain that Jesus really is the Son of God. Some of us go, well, it's a matter of faith. Cross your fingers. I've got some doubts, but I'm probably, it will probably be okay. God the Father never wants you to live that way. 
He wants you to be sure. He really does. He's given you evidence and testimony and through all the pages of history that Jesus is his son. This is not a vague shape in the clouds that if you squint your eyes, you go, oh, it looks like Queen Bodicea. It's not that you squint at the Old Testament and go, oh, it looks a bit like Jesus. He's everywhere. I think you're the point. But now we need to flip round and say, okay, so if that's all so clear, why did the people that Jesus is speaking to not listen? And here's the second big point I want us to see this afternoon. The second big thing is the problem of a horizontal worldview. Which you, let me explain what I mean. As Jesus talks to these guys and as he unpacks everything that he's been saying about the Father and the Son, the great problem is that the people he's speaking to operate horizontally. Which, let's face it, is where most of our culture is today and most of us are. The things that matter most to us are horizontal things. That is, I look around and I see people like me and I understand and I discuss things with you and I think about things with you. But what doesn't very often happen is that the vertical comes into my thinking. That is, God and who he is sort of doesn't really feature. And so we think horizontally. And so what happens is our minds cannot grasp the vertical stuff that Jesus is talking about because we're thinking horizontally, which is exactly what you see. Let me show you what he says. Jesus says this to them several times. He is saying, so back in verse 34 when he says, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. What he's saying at that point is that I don't want you to think that it's all horizontal. It's not that I need a load of people saying, oh yeah, Jesus really is. He said, I don't need horizontal uh, testimony because I've got vertical. And horizontal testimony, horizontal thinking, results in horizontal listening. So look, the people went to John the Baptist and they liked him. Verse 35, John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for time to enjoy his light. He said, oh, John, he's nice. Hey, have you heard about the bloke John? Eats locusts and wild honey, lives in the desert, baptising people. Let's go and hear him. Sounds like a fun day out. Off we go. He's got some strange ideas. That's quite interesting. We all listen to him for a bit. He's quite fun. Now we're bored of him. It's horizontal thinking. What do we think of him? Yeah, we quite like that. That's interesting. And how often our thinking and our listening is on that level. Our listening is, do I like this? Is this appealing to me? Is this fun? Is this entertaining me? No, not anymore. That's that. I'm going to go and find another church that's slightly more entertaining. I'm going to go and find a church that I like what they're saying. And Jesus says, you listened to him for a bit while you enjoyed it, and you chose to enjoy that light, but you didn't listen to where he was pointing. And so Jesus accuses them of horizontal listening. But then more, um, perhaps even more dramatically, he accuses them of horizontal Bible reading. So Jesus, as he explains to them that the scriptures are all about him, look at his accusation. When he says, you've never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, 
That is a staggering thing. He says, you have no vertical relationship with the God that you talk so much about. These are Jews, right? They love the law. They love talking about God. They weren't kind of atheists. They, they believed in a God. It's just that they had no relationship. There was no verticalness to their lives. It was all horizontal. And so when they read the Bible, they weren't listening for the voice of God. When they read the Bible, they were just exploring it for themselves and they were discussing it between themselves. It's horizontal. So he says to them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them is eternal life. Here's a sobering thought. It is quite possible to study the scriptures diligently, to know them back to front, to study them for the whole of your life, to get PhDs and professorships and to work in universities and to teach the Bible to people and to never understand what it's about. It's possible to come to church week after week and to be interested in the Bible and to engage with it and to discuss it and to argue about it, but never to come to the one who it's about. Jesus says it's all about me. It's a testimony to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I don't think there are many more tragic verses in all the Bible. That you could read the scriptures and study them and completely miss the point that it's all about Jesus. So let me say to you, I I want to say this gently, but it is possible to come to church week after week after week to be interested, to think, to listen, to know the Bible, to be able to answer questions in studies, perhaps even to be able to preach sermons. But never to come to Jesus. Because it's all horizontal. The point of the Bible, the point of the Scriptures, is that it would lead us to Jesus and to find life in him. It's all about him. And that's why horizontal worldview will only ever lead to horizontal glory-seeking. This is the last little bit. Jesus says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Here it is. You don't have the vertical. I've come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. So you don't accept the one who comes saying, I know the Father, horizontally, but you have the one who comes in their own name because you get that, right? Oh yeah, you're a bloke and we can think about you. Perhaps you're not a bloke, perhaps you're a woman. (laughs) And we can talk about you and we can think about what you're saying, and yeah, we like that, we don't like that. We can think horizontally, but as soon as someone comes and says, my father in heaven, I know my father, I speak my father's words, and I do my father's works, and he loves me, and he's entrusted all things to me, I am the son of the father, suddenly you go, whoa, not accepting that. So verse 44, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So all the glory that they want is horizontal glory. I just want other people to be impressed with me. I just want other people to like me. I just want other people to go, oh, great. And there is no thinking for the vertical. There is no question about what God says of me. 
And so Jesus says, how on earth are you ever going to believe in the Son if all you want is horizontal glory? And a horizontal worldview that effectively ignores the vertical, that effectively ignores God, is deeply dangerous. Because you can know the Scriptures and you can have people say wonderful things about you and you could write books and have people say that you're wonderful and you could be a great Bible teacher or you could be a great whatever and everyone thinks you're wonderful and yet there is no vertical in your life. And you will know that because when it comes to Jesus... You will not accept him. And when Jesus comes to you and he says, you need to live this way, and you don't want to live that way, you won't accept him. And when Jesus challenges us to live differently, and when Jesus challenges, perhaps in the area of sex and sexuality, he says, I want you to live differently. I want you to live as my people, the way I say, if we're horizontal thinkers, we're going, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. The world will disapprove of me. The world will disapprove of our church. If we say those things, the world won't like us because we're thinking horizontally and Jesus is challenging us and now the finger has been pointed. Now we're the ones in the dock and he says, do you know my father? Do you seek glory from him? The whole reason Jesus came was so that we could be in a vertical relationship with the God who made us so that his father could become our father. And in the last couple of verses, Jesus turns the whole thing around and says the most, just the most outrageous things to these Jewish religious leaders. But do not think I will accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Moses, he's our hero. We love Moses. We love the law. We love all his rules. We love what he says. We're with Moses. Except Moses wrote about me. And Moses, when you meet him, will say, why didn't you believe in Jesus? I wrote all about him in my law. And you ignored him. Why did you reject him when I wrote all about him? If you believe Moses, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? If we have no place for the vertical, if we have no love for God, if we have no desire for God, if all we want is human glory, if all we do is read the Bible with our own intelligence, if all we do is discuss things among ourselves and we have no time for God, we will never understand Jesus. And perhaps today Jesus has brought you to church because he says, here is my weighty testimony. Here is the truth of who I am. He says, wake up. Don't ignore. Don't live a horizontal life. Know the God who made you. Believe the one he sent. And find life in Jesus. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, 
Man, I, I, I don't know if I do have this vertical relationship. I don't know what I've got to do. It's easy. To be in a vertical relationship with God is to believe in the one he sent to say, Jesus, I believe the testimony. I believe you're all that you say you are. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you are the one who came to die on a cross. I believe you are the sacrifice who brings me back to God. Jesus, I believe you. And I want to build the whole of my life on you. And I want that counterbalance in my life to be so weighty that I'm ready for anything. So are you sure today? Are you sure Jesus is the Son of God? The testimony is here. Believe it. Believe it, trust him, and live your life for him. How would that change your life? If the testimony about Jesus became heavier and heavier, what might that set us free to go and do? Why don't we bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus did not just appear out of nowhere with a, to testify about himself, but the works that he did and the words that you have spoken are the great testimony to who he is. Father, thank you that you bear witness to your son. And Lord, we're so sorry when we live our lives horizontally. We're so sorry when we forget you and ignore you and live for ourselves. Please, would we lift our eyes. Please, would we believe in the one you've sent. Please, would we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing a couple of songs to finish off. Why not take this time to pray? It may be that